This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome to Steve Bloomer's Washing, your independent Derby County fans podcast, where we are recording on a Sunday morning off the back of another dramatic day in League One. Six goals in the first half to give the Rams a 4-2 victory over an in-form Bristol Rovers at Pride Park. Anton, Chris opened the last pod asking you if League One would be as mad as Action Stanley away all season, and it appeared that trend is only continuing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was wondering after the the nil nil against Extra, Exeter on Tuesday, but it certainly came back with a bang yesterday. How much nicer does uh, Sunday morning feel after scoring four goals? Eh? Yeah, definitely a lot easier to pod uh, in this kind of mood than after maybe the Ipswich game or, or the Exeter or the Port Vale game. So glad we've we're podding after another victory. Tom, it appears the madness in this division wasn't just restricted to Derby either. An eight-goal thriller just down the road from you yesterday. Uh, yes, I've got a good friend who's a Charlton fan and thankfully he decided to stay for the whole game, uh, unlike the thousands who decided to leave as it went 4-2 in the 94th minute. But Charlton scored 96th and 99th. And coincidentally, I was with a Norwich fan last night who was absolutely uh, buzzing from the fact that they beat Stoke and then also enjoying the fact that Ipswich had uh, thrown away a two-goal lead in the last minute. Yeah, really good day of football all round, actually. I think it was eight games in the Premier League on a Saturday, which is uh, pretty unheard of as well and plenty of goals there so Pride Park wasn't the only place uh, to get a bit of dramatic football. Uh, we're delighted to tell you that Steve Bloomers Washing is partner with Derby Brewing Company for another season. A family-run craft brewery situation in Derby City Centre with a wide range of award-winning real ales and five great venues across Derbyshire and Staffordshire so do make sure you pay them a visit if you haven't before. There is definitely some formations and personnel chats we need to get stuck into later after another rollercoaster two weeks for the Rams. After a run of two defeats and one draw, left some questioning whether the players we have are fit for purpose for poor worn style. His side got back to winning ways with that emphatic first half yesterday. And I think there is only really one place to start, and that is, of course, David 
Ditsy McGoldrick's 35-minute hat-trick. Anton, I think when a Derby County player scores three goals of that calibre, it's only right to begin with debating which of those was best. So let's talk through those goals uh, in, the, in, the, in the context of which was your favourite. Which one took the biscuit for you, Anton? It's a really tough question, isn't it? I was pondering it this morning and, and I was thinking the, the more I think about it, the, the harder it is to pick a favourite, to be honest. Yeah. They're all good in their own different ways and really showcase the the kind of range of skills that Didzy has on offer. I mean, it even showed a bit of a turn of pace for the first goal, but some strength, great awareness, great finishing as well. I think my personal favourite is is probably the third goal. Um, and that's purely because it, it just shows that the amazing awareness that he has. Not only does he win the ball back really well, but you see as he's coming into the box, like he looks into the middle where he's got options. He kind of quick glance at the keeper, quick glance back at the middle and just kind of gives the keeper the eyes a little bit and whips it into that far corner. I, I was surprised he took the shot on myself. The keeper obviously was a little bit as well. But it was a great finish. The, the other one that was really good, in my opinion, as well, was the first one um, from a team perspective. That's the hallmark of how Paul Warren wants to play. Kind of five yeah. men really pressing high, um, winning the ball back. And everyone just knows what Mendes Lang is going to do. McGoldrick's just on his bike, barely even looks back. The weight of the ball is superb and calmness personified really McGoldrick going through didn't even need to take a touch and just slides it easily past the goalkeeper but yeah number three was my favorite I think it's really hard as Anton says to judge which one and I hope we talk about Nathaniel Mendes Lang later on and I hope we talk about the Derby press in a little bit more detail later on because there's the third goal from the from the north stand you can see there's five if not six Derby players within 25 yards of the Rovers goal when they're in possession and that's exactly what we have lacked I think over the last few weeks but yesterday we saw it in abundance for me I thought the first goal was brilliant um, and that absolutely great goal and normally you'd be saying that's that's the pick of the bunch but for me that was the third best of the uh, three wow um, it was a real tight one between the second and the and the third and I'm gonna go just because of the the body strength to get as the headers won by Nathaniel Mendes Lang uh, on the edge of the box and the body strength to hold the defender off and getting round him he lets the ball drop over his shoulder and then on the turn and swivels and right foots it into a, it's an absolute thunderbastard past the goalkeeper and I just really enjoyed that technique of the fact of like strength and then poison and calmness to actually hammer that ball ball in and so yeah I did go it was really tight between the second uh, and the third goal but I, I think the second goal just edged it and purely because you mentioned the goalkeeper for the third Anton I think by the time he takes a shot the goalkeeper's positioning he's obviously wanting the ball back short from the defender so he's slightly to the left of the post uh, sorry to the right hand side of the post so he's not yeah, in very quite true. the right place which is why Dizzy is able to curl it. I think it hits the far post, but um, he shouldn't really be scoring from there. And I don't know if you saw, and Anton, I think you'll appreciate this, but I'm sure I saw on Twitter that Dizzy scored a hat-trick with an XG of 0.34. <laughs> nice. Yeah, showcases how good his finishing was yesterday. Yeah, that, that's surprising, isn't it? Because I would have thought that the first goal, I mean, the first goal, the yeah, XG on that would have been fairly high, I would have thought. Obviously, the second two were much harder strikes. I'd probably go with Tom... The second goal, I know, I know that he hits it into the roof of the net and it's an emphatic finish, but the actual skill to keep it down, you know, down en enough below the crossbar was just incredible. And I thought that was also an, a nice team goal in a sense that you actually had Mendes Lang thundering into a 50-50 on the edge of their box to, to win it and to put it back into the mixer and everything Tom spoke about just there in terms of the strength, the body position and then the composure to, to wrap his foot around it. I thought that was an incredible finish, that, that second goal. Really hard finish. You don't see many finishes like that in League One. 
The second is is all about, Ditsy. as he said, Tom, the press from the whole team is great, but Ditsy to actually win the tackle and not foul the player. We saw quite a few times Collins kind of putting a bit too much in. Some of the younger players, they make that tackle in, in the opposition's kind of third and they give away a free kick rather than winning the ball. And McGoldrick did just enough to win it, but not too much to give the referee a decision to make. And the finish... The finish is superb from from David McGoldrick for that third one. But yeah, the goalkeeper looks like he's more worried about his near post. Um, and I think he was expecting Ditsy to maybe try and play a ball, try and force him to play a ball across the six-yard box and maybe try and get a defender to intercept it. And he just sees that space and the finish is still perfect. I think, I think I'm on with you, Tom, on the second goal is my favourite because I just think it showed his all-round forward play to hold off the player, which he does all around the park all game long. And to and to and to let the ball bounce and then and then hit it into the roof of the net. I I just thought that was that was incredible. I think what I would say about the third one, just to defend myself a little bit, um, <laughs> it, even even though the goalkeeper is is obviously out of position, he's, his team's lost the ball near their own area. I mean, how many times do you see players in that position and it, they completely telegraph a kind of whipped shot into the far corner? Whereas McGoldrick doesn't do that at all. His, his body shape and his kind of eyes and, and the way he positions his head is all set up for a, a kind of square ball into the box. Both Harahan and Collins are there. And if he, he doesn't do that, I think the goalkeeper has a better position and he gets to that shot. But because of the the intelligence of McGoldrick to, to make the keeper think of, of something different, it gives him that space. And the finish has to be inch perfect as well. It goes in off the post. If it's any closer to the goalkeeper I think the keeper saves it so it's just brilliant all-round play let's just agree that all three goals are absolutely outstanding for for very different reasons at times but there are yeah. there was one similarity I thought from from the three is the fact of Derby winning the ball up high in high up the park and two of those goals yeah. the first and the third one came from Bristol Rovers throw-ins inside their own half and and Derby putting the pressure on to uh, force a force a tackle force a, the overturn or to uh, force a misplaced pass and I think that is really important to the way that Derby should be playing on the front foot especially at home trying to win the ball back because we've got those players like Mendes Lang who you don't want picking the ball up 20 yards inside his half you want him picking the ball up 30 or 40 yards from their goal and and causing an absolute carnage in the Bristol Rovers back line and and that very nearly happened in the second half as well with that chance for Dobbin where uh, I can't remember who it was who won it in the middle but they played in McGoldrick who who did pretty well to get it out to Dobbin and it should have been a goal to be honest We, we could have had six or seven goals yesterday and getting players up that far up the pitch and winning the ball in their final third is going to create chances. And it was it was plain to see that yesterday. Yeah, we said that earlier on, I think, and when Paul Warren first took over, that just getting, we have got quality attacking players, so let's make sure they're on the ball or got a chance to get on the ball in that final third and they're going to they're gonna do damage. And we saw that yesterday. And a word for James Collins too, of course, getting his goal on his return to the side, making it four goals in three games, for, in three league games for himself under Paul one a goal from a set piece as well which is always welcome and it was actually nice to see some some real movement in the penalty box from from our attackers i know it was poor defending hayden roberts found himself in in acres of space in the middle of a six-yard box he directed his header down and towards the back post and then colin somehow had another whole acre of empty space to just tap it in at that back post i think it's fair to say that the defensive marking and i'm not i've watched it a few times i'm not sure if bristol rovers are trying to go for a zonal or a man marking but whichever one it was wasn't exactly working i think the marking was non-existent but derby have had a habit of of wasting decent opportunities from corners this season haven't they 
Yeah, we have. And, and we've said at times how poor the delivery is, um, but it was much better yesterday. And the movement was obviously really good. As you say, the, the marking for, for the corner certainly was was pretty atrocious. There was a lot of ball watching, a lot of zonal marking, but neither Roberts or Collins were were picked up. But we know how important set pieces are to Warren. He always highlights them as a, as a really good opportunity. So I'm sure there'll have been lots of work on that in the training grounds and paid dividends yesterday. Just going back to to Collins, obviously he scored a goal, which was nice to see on his return. I think most players on the pitch probably would have scored that yesterday. But I thought his all-round game was really good yesterday. And it, it gave us something slightly different to what we've seen with Asula in the side. Asula's been brilliant, as, as we've kind of lauded on, on previous podcasts. And he, he has that pace, which is kind of terrifying for defenders. But, but Collins just has that intelligence in his hold-up play and is able to bring other players in, in, into play a little bit more potentially than Asula and and not to say Asula can't do it but Asula's less experienced in that and when you've got a suit both Asula and Dobbin up front although they play really well together and they they have that terrifying pace I think we sometimes lack a little bit of that link up play yeah Anton I totally agree about Collins I actually thought he looked like a bit of a monster yesterday like he looked sharper he looked stronger he looked really really up for it in a way that I think earlier in the season he just looked a bit more subdued I think he's really We've spoken about it before, but I think maybe even a few games out of the side through his suspension has just given him a time to work more closely with Paul Warren on the training field and, and really find that that thing that makes him tick, which has obviously just been an absolute nuisance, being an absolute animal and running the channels and doing the dirty things. He, he looked to me like two or three years younger, actually, than he did before his suspension. I'm not sure if you know what I mean by that, Anton, but he just seemed so much more involved than usual and, and really absolutely flourishing under that system. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I mean, I heard, I think it might have been Chris who mentioned that he, he'd had a kind of one-on-one session with Paul Warren while he was out and he described it as just one of the most brutal things he's ever done. Um, but you could really see how that has paid off. He, he's had time to kind of get used to this system, kind of really build his fitness and he, he looks a different player, doesn't he? he? He looked really up for it yesterday looks really bought into the system and as we suspected when Paul Warren came into the team he's really flourishing on the extra balls into the box the more direct play it's really bringing the best out of Collins and I I can only see him continuing a fairly decent goal streak throughout the rest of the season as long as he can stay fit. Yeah I'd agree I think as well that he he not only benefits from having a strike partner, which we've, we saw in this system since Paul Warren came in, but I think he probably absolutely loves playing alongside David McGoldrick as well. Yeah. I think they're really good foils for each other. And I think I think that will just give him more and more confidence that he's going to get opportunities. He's, he's going to be able to be effective and, and be able to score goals in, in that system. But we talked about poor set-piece defending from Bristol Rovers. Derby didn't have it entirely their own way in that first half. Uh, before Ditsy's hat-trick strike, Rovers defender Bobby Thomas hammered in from close range after a chaotic scramble from a a free kick, I think. Now, for me, the blame here lies entirely at Lewis Dobbins' door. I know Rams TV was saying that it shouldn't have been left to a young, slight attacking midfielder to deal with the large opposition centre-back at the back post. And, And they're probably right about that. But it was actually after he loses the initial battle, which I don't think you can blame him for, but he lets himself down because 
while Thomas bounces back up and is able to pounce on that loose ball, Dobbin just kind of stays ball watching almost off the pitch. And he could easily have got back into the six yard box and, and challenged Thomas before Thomas put it into the back of the net. So for me, it was a bad individual mistake there, Tom. How did you see it? Yeah, I'd agree. I think um, Dobbin, Dobbin should do better at the back post. He isn't expected necessarily to win that ball um, in the air. And I don't think he should be marking that centre-back, as you say. Uh, but then he's standing there watching the, the play unfold. And actually, Tom, Bobby Thomas is on the floor uh, on, his, on his chest. And he takes the time to get back up and get back into position. And Dobbin stood there watching. So um, a bit of naivety. And that's something that he'll learn and something that he'll probably go back with. And I'm sure the coaches will address and be like, look, if you're defending, you've got to be on your toes and got to be alert to things and that will help his anticipation in both boxes as he uh, developed his career. So whilst I would say, yes, he was to blame, I wouldn't go uh, too hammering into him because I don't necessarily think that's the part of his game and he needs to be helped out. The fact is that we lost that first header, but then we lost the second header as well. Uh, and it was a bit of a mess all over the place. I did think the Derby line was a little bit too high uh, from the initial free kick. But yeah, there's, there's lots of things you could pick out from there. And I'm sure they'll look at it at the training ground. In some ways, it's great to see four defenders have got back onto the line to try and block something. But actually, maybe we had one or two too many on the line and one of them needs to get out to that ball in the six-yard box. So maybe not entirely Dobbin's fault, but I just thought... It was, as you say, Tom, Thomas was able to bounce back up off the floor and put it in and, and Dobbin was just stood there watching it all happen. And that I'm sure that that'll be pulled up on their kind of post-match analysis. They'll be like, well, what are you doing there? Like the ball isn't out of play. The ball's still in play. Get back in and, and lend a hand. But Anton, the second goal we conceded just at the death uh, at the end of the first half, another penalty conceded this time by Craig Forsyth to give the gas a glimmer of hope going into the break. Another clear penalty for you, Anton? Yeah, this one definitely was, I think. I don't think we can have too many complaints. It was just a bit of a lazy leg, which was dangled out by Fozzy. I mean, it was a really good turn in fairness by the striker and he kind of accelerated off as well and, and kind of it was intelligent to, to go over Fozzy's leg like that. Um, but we can't have too many complaints at the decision. What's disappointing is it's yet another penalty. I can't really put my finger on why why it's happening. I, I don't think there's a real explanation to it other than a little bit of misfortune there's obviously been some interesting decisions let's say um over the last few games but we need to cut out those those chances because although we've been fortunate in only conceding what two or three out of the six or seven we've conceded that trend isn't going to continue forever so we need to cut out those silly mistakes we need to stop letting opponents get too many chances within our box and too many touches within the box because that's when those mistakes can happen and that's when we're going to concede goals. Whilst I agree with you with regards to some of their decision making yesterday's was a stonewall penalty I do think the issue that we've had is that quite often we go to ground we're caught out of position defensively and uh, we're turned quite quickly and easily um, the speed with which Bristol Rovers broke down the left hand side to, to win that penalty no one really put a tackle in to try and stop that or slow it down to allow us to get back into shape and we're sort of caught sort of backtracking the whole time and off balance and that's why Forsyth is going one way going the other way he's then sent the other way and then he dangles out a leg it's a lazy tackle uh, for a man of such experience a disappointing one but that's that's happened time and time again the Ipswich one was much more debatable I thought but again McGoldrick's on the floor trying to play play the ball and he maybe catches a man maybe doesn't I, for me I'm I can see why it was given, but frustrated it was. And I just think we keep giving teams the opportunity to go down in our box by by not quite being set defensively. To your point there, Tom, do you, do you think that's kind of more a case of something that we'll have to get used to given the way that Paul Warren wants to play and especially with the formation yesterday with the, the wingers pushing up really far into the opponent's half, we're going to give those spaces out wide. So 
it's almost a case of can we score more than the opposition, which is is what we kind of managed to do yesterday. We are going to give away chances like that. Do, do you think that that's just something that we'll have to get used to? Yeah, quite possibly. But I also think you can give away chances without necessarily putting fouls in the box or conceding fouls in the box. And I think you can, even if you do have wingers who stay high up and so you play almost a three or maybe a four up front, you've got your two midfielders there and it needs to be working the more defensive shape for them. One of them either needs to go across to engage that left midfielder. So you then if it's a switch, then you can understand the fact that they've had to do something skillful. But all they did down the left-hand side was just sort of run it and run it. And it ended up being Cashin, I think, who was done for pace. And that, he's your centre-back. He shouldn't be out in that right-back position. And I know the issue is we haven't got a right-back. So there's plenty of things that are quite easily addressed. Um, well, not easily addressed, but can be addressed in the future with a transfer window and obviously with extra work on the uh, with regards to formation and shape and stuff. And it's still very early days. I just think that it's, we keep making those same mistakes and I really hope we do cut those out uh, over the next sort of few weeks because we can't we can't go on conceding a penalty every every couple of games or in some cases two penalties in a game which we've done a couple of times already this season. You know what, I'd completely forgotten about the Ipswich, the penalty in the Ipswich game and just before we came on air I was just looking through the last, you know, October's run of games and I, I'd counted five in the last five league games but I think I missed out the Ipswich one so I think we've conceded six penalties in the last five league games. It's ridiculous. Now, yeah, sounds right. Yeah, so I mean that that is <laughs> it's absolutely insane. And as you both said, you know, maybe one or two of those were questionable decisions, but you probably rightly conceded at least four <laughs> in the last five league games. So that's something that's got to be cut out. I think there probably is something in how we're letting teams break on us a bit too easily and get into our box a bit too easy. Maybe we're a bit open at times, but some of them have just been poor decisions uh, and we're not playing up against you know incredibly skillful strikers i think our defenders probably should be dealing with some of these a bit a bit better just before we go to the break though one of the things that chris tweeted and and put in our patreon discord during uh, and after the game was that all six goals from the game came from bad defending now i'm not entirely sure i agree with that and and we can probably debate some of those individual goals or whether or not they were bad defending i would put down two of mcgoldrick's goals particularly down to the team's pressing, as Tom outlined earlier, you know, there was we boxed them into a corner or we forced them into a poor pass, and, and we and we capitalised on that. So I wouldn't necessarily say that's bad defending. I think mean, I think I put that down to, to Derby's press. But taking the bad defending figures a hypothesis, are we seeing worn style through the kind of quick transitions and, and mistakes that we forced? Or, or Bristol Rovers particularly just, just terrible defensively, Anton? I mean, to your point, there's there's a difference between kind of an outright defensive mistake and your opponent forcing you into a mistake. And I think that's where most of the mistakes, if we're calling it, that came from yesterday in the Rovers' back line. And as you said, for the first goal, it was ridiculously high press and in an intense press as well. Really kind of forced them into that passing error had we not been pressing that high it wouldn't have been an error like that similar with Ditty's third goal as well so it's just being aware of what's around you um, in the opponent's half and where to press and where not to press and and if we can do that in the right way then against this level of team which will come up against most weeks we'll we'll be able to create those chances and force them into those mistakes I think um, the goals that we scored yesterday 
we did force them into mistakes rather than perhaps if you compare to Joe Gomez's error against Leeds last night, that's just a complete howler under very little pressure. That's a genuine defensive error. Whereas the mistakes that were made last night, I think were, were made in part because of our press. The goal from the corner, if you watch the runs, lots of the runners going in, then there's a lot of blocking going on in the middle, which allows Hayden Roberts to be free. And what James Collins does, he stands still and then he moves backwards and all the defenders are seeing the runs going forward and Collins is clever enough to find that back post area. That's a well-worked set piece, in my view, and it's it's made Bristol Rovers look stupid and it makes it look like bad defending, but I also think it's a good bit of attacking play as well. So you can give kudos to both Derby for their attacking and then you can obviously criticise uh, Rovers for their defending, but I think Derby have done enough going forward there to force those errors and I think that's what you've got to give credit to. Yeah, I, I always think that this is classic, you know, the way that football fans look at games. Like Derby fans will look at yesterday's game, will look at how great we attacked and how great we pressed and will maybe be tempted to overlook some of the defensive side of Bristol Rovers whereas when we talk about us we don't really talk about how great Bristol Rovers attacking was we talk about Derby's own mistakes you always look at it for your own team's lens and that's natural but I do think that I agree with you Tom that I just think we did force mistakes on them and we've seen that over the last you know month right the way that Paul Warner set his team up we are forcing the opposition into more mistakes I think under Rossinia we were kind of trying to pass teams to death and we weren't really forcing them into mistakes you could say that the way we play maybe made teams a bit more tired and that's why we scored more late goals under Rooney last season under Rosina this season because we did dominate possession and, and move teams about whereas this season under Paul Warren it seems like from the get-go we just really want to force the opposition to play in areas they don't want to play in and put them into uncomfortable areas where they may make a mistake well in the second half of the pod we will discuss the formation switch from Paul Warren to a 4-4-2 and where different players currently stand in the squad but don't forget you can follow Steve Blue as Washington on Facebook Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to the pod on any podcast platform or app, the good ones and the bad ones as well. Just search for Steve Bloomer's washing. And edges forward, plays it up into the edge of the box. Even there, a quick turn there by Carbonari of Orphine, makes the grab, Carbonari! Horacio from Rosario has surely settled it. What a piece of Argentine dexterity. Edge of the box, holds off three players. Left, then to the right, rolls it just in front of himself, just as it seemed to be gone, and he shot bullet hard to the bottom left-hand corner of Crosley's net. 85 minutes gone. Derby County 1, Nottingham Forest nil. Hi, I'm Paolo Wanchop, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. So much has been made about Paul Warren's favoured 3-5-2 system and whether we have the players, especially the wing-backs, uh, to adopt it successfully. The early signs, especially Cambridge and obviously Accrington Stanley away, suggested it could be worth persevering with but some poor performances and results particularly at home in the draw with Exeter and the loss to Port Vale in addition to a, a pretty toothless trip to Portman Road which of course ended in defeat had a lot of fans questioning if it was time to try something different I didn't catch much of the midweek game with Exeter but by all accounts they did switch to a more of a 4-4-2 type system in the second half and were somewhat improved and the improvement yesterday was was pretty obvious to see so Anton do you think Warren was simply forced into this switch because of the injury situation or do you think he does recognize that he might need to to try something a bit different with this squad of players i think it was a case of he was a little bit forced yesterday i i feel like he he understands that 
the players aren't quite right for for this system and especially we've seen at left wing back is probably the the real problem position for us with the current players that we have available but I wonder if he would have changed so quickly had we not had the the centre-backs out injured so I wonder if actually the Chester and Davis being out, although it's they're both massive misses to this team, it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise in a way to, for us to to try something different and for us to to see it reap its rewards as well. Because we saw certainly with the wide players playing much further up the pitch, and I, I mean you you said it was a four four two and it was billed as a four four two yesterday, but actually it was more of a four two four to be honest. How how high yeah. both Dobbin and Mendes Lang were playing, and it, it really brought the best out of those two players I mean Dobbin clearly couldn't play left wing back and although Mendes Lang's been probably one of our best players still playing right wing back we definitely don't see the best of him we want him in the opposition's final third so I really liked the 4-2-4 yesterday clearly we will come up against better opposition than Bristol Rovers so we haven't seen it tested to its full capacity but I certainly think there are legs in it yeah, I agree. I think I think it probably was partly prompted by the by the injuries, but obviously he did go to that that four four two or or four two four or four two three one. You could even call it. I think at times against Exeter as well. I mean, he does actually still have enough centre backs to play three at the back. You know, yeah. Forsyth I thought was actually excellent. Apart from the the penalty he gave away, I thought Forsyth was the pick of the defenders yesterday. You could obviously play Forsyth as a, as a left wing back. You could probably get away with Roberts playing as a left wing back and there was still Stearman and Rooney um, on the bench as well. But uh, look, yeah, I think Stearman's a capable defender. He's had his moments this season, but I think he's shown before he can come in and do a job. I think a lot of people would like to see Jake Rooney giving some more minutes. He could also be an option in midfield and in a midfield too, if we're going to play quite a deep uh, midfield too. But the problem area for me on when you go back to a, a four at the back is the opposite when, to the left-hand side, right? We've got too many left backs, but no left wing backs. And we've got, maybe one we haven't got any right backs apart from Maduro who I would still like to be seen given a bit of a chance on that side but Tom you mentioned right earlier in the pod about Nathaniel Mendes Lang I wanted to talk more about him for me the best part of this system is the fact that Nathaniel Mendes Lang who is our most our best and probably most consistent attacker you'd have to say in open play is just much much more effective when he's picking the ball up in the opposition third rather than behind his own halfway line and having to make the ground up from there. He just he was a menace right from the beginning yesterday, right until he was subbed off. Yeah, totally agree with what you said there. And I've got to, got to sort of like swallow my pride because I said at the beginning of the season, I didn't think Mendes Lang would be a good signer. I didn't think he'd fit at all. But um, I'm completely and utterly wrong with that. He's been fantastic this year uh, and arguably one of the players already in, in the shout for player of the season when we're coming to look at those awards at the end of the season, if he even continues being... A very early call for player of the season. It's, in with a shout. I mean, he's, he's been one of the standout players just because he's so lively, he's direct, he sets up goals, he's scoring goals. Like, um, and he, he looks dangerous and in the 3-5-2 formation when he's playing right wing back he picks the ball up too deep and he's got too much to do he's got maybe two players to beat but when he's playing that 4-4-2 or 4-2-4 um, that we did yesterday he picks the ball up and he's straight away up against the fullback and he can beat the fullback and if he doesn't beat the fullback the fullback's taking him out or he's picking out a pass like he did for McGoldrick's first goal so I think having having Mandis Lang further up the pitch is so important rather than having him picking the ball up and doing defensive work and um, something that Chris said when he was at the game yesterday 
he said that the guy behind him was shouting, go on shoulders, as he, Mendes Lang got the ball. And that's absolutely true. He's an absolute beast and a complete unit. So we need to get him up against those fullbacks and make him bully them. And that's the way that we'll play. And that's the way that we'll win games in this division. I don't want to see Nathaniel Mendes Lang play right wing back ever again, to be honest, in, in this system. Maybe there'll be maybe there'll be away games where you want to set up that way, but I just think you neutralize him so much by playing him so so deep. And the other thing I liked about the four four two or four two four, Anton, was you had we had some overlapping fullbacks. Like Corey Smith, particularly in the first half, got forward a lot. And so when Nathaniel Mendes Lang is up against uh, a, a, cent- a fullback or he's being double upped on, he needs to have someone going around the outside of him to give another option and free up some space. Hayden Roberts was getting forward well on the left-hand side. So I just think that you get way more out of this team with the kind of two players on each side of the pit. Yeah, I do I do see that. But the reason for the three five two for me is the three centre midfielders should be the ones who are like supporting on the inside. So you're basically looking for a give and go. That's that's how I would view the the three five two. So Mendes Lang picks the ball up, drives a little bit and then someone should be supporting in the middle. And I think someone like Halverhun has been really, really disappointing, actually, in the, the last sort of three or four games. And he was fantastic yesterday, um, sort of really creative and pulling pulling the team forward. And and some of the passes he was he was playing were, were great. And that's a different Halverhun yesterday to what we've seen in the 3-5-2. So maybe if the system is suiting at the moment, the players we've got more to 4-2-4, then I think we should go with that. And I think the 3-5-2, if that's how we're going to play in the future, fine. But we need a transfer window. We need to get the players in that are going to suit that system. Because uh, at the moment, it doesn't get the best out of the players that we've got. And our better players are therefore negated by the fact of the system. And that was the most frustrating thing, especially after the Exeter game. Um, just felt that we weren't creating things when we've got such talented players who should be able to create things against any team in this division. Yeah, the, the creativity is, is the key point, really. What we've found when the 3-5-2 hasn't been working, certainly this was the case against Exeter and the same against Ipswich as well last weekend, was that we were only creating something when Mendes Lang beats two players. And you can't expect him to do that every time. He he did it a couple of times against Exeter. He did it against Ipswich as well. But you can't be relying on that all, all day long because the opposition will just put a couple of players on him and it will kind of negate our creativity completely. It's really good. Good point that you made, actually, Kutch, about the the overlapping fullbacks because it it brings that extra option into um, well for for the opposition to think about down that left wing and it creates that bit of space for Mendes Lang to run into, and having that extra bit of space brings out the best in Mendes Lang and we saw him create so many opportunities yesterday. I also just thought that maybe right back aside, and I thought Corey Smith did, did a decent job there yesterday. That yesterday's formation and setup was. Maybe the only time this season or the first time this season where we had kind of everyone in their correct position or everyone who was available in their correct position. Maybe not Smith. Yeah, that's what I mean. Corey Smith is the exception. I think the right back is the only problem area, but we literally, unless you're going to trust Aduro, which I, again, say I think we should try, we don't have a right back or right back that they're willing to play. So aside from Corey Smith, everyone else, I think, was in what they would probably say is their favorite position. Maybe Harahun would want to play a bit further forward. But in general, I think people were in their natural positions. And I think that probably showed, and I'll say again, right back's the only area where we maybe have a problem in that situation. Mendes Lang is much better further forward. Dobbin is much better in the kind of that wide left place. If Barkhausen came back in when he's back fit, he'll be much more comfortable up there rather than at left wing back. McGoldrick and Collins up front together, like it all just works and feels more natural. And as I've said before in the pod, 
in other weeks. Like we do have very, very good players. Get them playing in the right positions and to a style that they're comfortable with and we will see, we'll win more games than we'd lose. But Warren's tenure so far and Derby's season more generally can probably be summed up as inconsistent. Uh, but hopefully getting his first home victory could spur things on if we're able to marry up our recent uptick in away form with some consistency at home. We're yet to win back-to-back games under the new gaffer, but more come away on Tuesday possibly gives us that opportunity. MK Don's away next Saturday is also a team massively underperforming the season in the relegation zone. So we know no game is easy, can take nothing for granted, but this squad should really be eyeing up an opportunity to put a bit of a run together, don't you think, Anton? Yeah, definitely. And and Warren has mentioned it several times in his um, interviews that the way to get out of this division and any division really is is to not get too down about poor performances such as Exeter midweek, but to go on runs as well when when you're playing well. And and this is I don't think there's a better opportunity to do that as you say. Morecambe, I think, are, are bottom at the moment. MK Dons in the bottom three. So. We really should be trying to eye up six points. And and we, we also see as well, it's, it's so tight in this division that you put together a run of two wins and suddenly you're right up there in the mix. I mean, we've lost one and, and drawn one in the last two games, not looked very good. Suddenly a win yesterday with three points off the top six with the game in hand. So a couple more wins add into that and we'll be kind of looking really pretty in the top six. So no Connor Harahan against Morecambe, Tom, though, after he, he he picked up a yellow card, his fifth yellow card of the season. And I think it was actually giving away the free kick that led to Rovers' Rovers' first goal yesterday. Might be wrong about that, yeah, it but was. it was in the same position. Presuming we stick to 4-4-2, Tom, who, who would you partner with Max Bird in the middle? I'll give you a few options to think about. You could move Corey Smith into the middle and find a different solution at right back, possibly um, Aduro. Uh, or you could try Louis Sibley in a more kind of deeper midfield role. Liam Thompson is probably his natural position. Or perhaps the more radical solution to think about could be Jake Rooney because we've seen Jake Rooney perform well at centre-back but we believe also he is used to playing in a kind of a defensive midfield role too so Tom what would be your preference for filling that Conor Harahan hole on Tuesday night? Yeah I think it'd be Tomo for me I think uh, he naturally sits into that deep line midfielder role especially if we're going to continue with the formation that we played uh, on Saturday and I think against Morgan we have to we have to go for and really attack them uh, because they'll sit in a little bit like what we saw against Shrewsbury when we went to their uh, back in August coach we need the players further forward and we need to stretch them as much as much as we possibly can. So I'd have Thompson sitting in next to Bird and I'd have Thompson just shielding that back four, going left to right, depending on where the attacks are coming down and trying to break up that play so we don't have a repeat of the uh, the attack from the second goal down the left-hand side, which saw Cashin drawn out of the middle. And I think that's what Thompson is so good at. And we saw that last year. He's not really done anything this year. He's not had the opportunities because we've got such a strong uh, central midfield spot. So it'd be nice to see him come in and, and make a claim for uh, for some starts. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with Tom, to be honest. I, I can't see Sibley slotting in there when we've got kind of four other attackers on the pitch because it just feels a little bit imbalanced. And I'd be surprised if Jake Rooney starts there, given that we've only seen him at centre-back so far and, and obviously only in the Pizza Cup as well. So it comes down to... Who does Warren trust more out of Aduro at right back and Thompson in the middle? You get the feeling that it's not an obvious candidate from from Warren's post-match press conferences after the Pizza Cup. He, he doesn't seem overly confident about the strength and depth that we've been using for, with, with some of those youngsters. So I don't think he'll be 
massively confident with either. I, I, I agree with you, Kutch. I'd quite like to see Adore given a chance because I think there is a player in there. But I think the safer bet is going with Thompson. Yeah, the other option is, of course, I think Richard Stearman has played right back in the past. And I imagine Jake Rooney could probably do a job at right back. So there's different options. I, I don't know enough about Morecambe to know where their strengths lie. You know, do we need a few more giants at the back, for example, to deal with set pieces? In that case, maybe you find a way to put one of the biggest um, other centre-backs like a Rooney or, or a Stearman at right back and and then move Corey Smith into the middle. I, I like Liam Thompson. I'm a big fan of Liam Thompson. I think he's been had a lot of criticism this season when he's come in and, and made appearances, but it's really hard to just come in and out, go into kind of the meaningless games, which are the Pizza Cup games, or or just cut, or fill in off the bench for, for 20 minutes. We saw last season when he was given a run in the team, he, he was a really good player. Uh, and he was a really useful player and he was involved in some good performances last season. So I, I, I'd probably like to see Leon Thompson given a go. If not that, then I would agree I'd put Aduro at, at right back um, and put Corey Smith in the middle. Thompson reminds me at times of a very young Max Bird. He went, when he first came into the team, he was kind of hailed as a, kind of the next big thing within the centre midfield options. But he sometimes lacks a little bit of confidence in, in his passing and sometimes plays the safe option. And he also sometimes gets muscled off the ball a little bit. Both of those traits we saw with Max Bird kind of towards the end of his first season and into his second season. And he kind of went away, worked on it, kind of bulked up a little bit and also grew in confidence when he when he was on the ball as well. So if Thompson could go on a bit of a run and work on those traits, then he could kind of force his way into the team. But he needs to he needs to kind of maybe take some advice from Max Bird. Bird's a great person to put his um, arm around his shoulder, especially with, with his vice-captaincy role in this team. Um, I'd like to see Bird step up and, and kind of give him some advice and hopefully see him flourish. So uh, before we wrap up then, uh, a bit of off-the-field news. I thought we were done with this, but I guess we should at least reference it briefly. Uh, Quantuma, yes, you remember those guys, posted their detailed administration report over the weekend, and it made for some pretty de- depressing and, and quite scary reading if we didn't already know just how close we came to the abyss. We learned that David Clowes paid just over £18 million for the club. That's excluding, of course, whatever he's paid Mel Morris for the stadium and that HMRC in the end only received £6 million from the sale and that is despite being owed I think £25 million in unpaid taxes from the Mel Morris era. So the taxman ended up taking a 75% discount on what we should have paid them. That to me is, is pretty depressing, quite embarrassing, quite shameful and unfortunately the club owes a huge thanks uh, to the tax man uh, for playing ball and allowing us to get out of this because I think they're probably within their rights to, to ask and, and demand more and that could have ended in, in complete disaster. But lastly, Tom, on that topic, we also learned that the increased legal fees and administration fees charged by Quantuma weren't the fault of anyone else apart from us, fans, the media, supporters groups and, and other stakeholders for having the temerity to request uh, regular updates and discussion on the state and future of our club. So I guess, Tom, we, we as a fan base can only apologise to Consumer for forcing them to do so much more work. Uh, yeah, I'm very sorry for holding some administrators who decided to entertain the likes of Chris Kirchner for so long uh, in trying to get the club out of administration and, and onto a level footing. Um, I'm sorry for trying to hold them to account and I'm sorry for asking for updates about what on earth is going on because, yeah, it was only a, only nine months of absolute abject misery and I, actually I could have done with eight 18 months, I would have been fine with that. So yeah, sorry, Quantuma, and please uh, take all of our money. Their statement there in terms of like what they're doing, saying 
basically doing their job, press conferences, updating people, engaging in legal discussions. That, that's what they were there to do. And that's what they were, were hired for. And it, yes, it might well have been more complex than it initially felt, but still ridiculous. I think it's over 100% more than what they'd initially quoted, what their fees will be. So it'll be interesting to see whether that does actually get paid and who actually ends up paying them. Yeah. And I think Steve Burns Washington apologised. So we had Carl Jackson on the pod <laughs> quite early on, I think, in the administration for about half an hour. So I'm not sure what the hourly rate was. But yeah, apologies if we've billed the club or whoever is picking up that tab um, anymore, if that's the way that they are playing it. There was also a line in there about part of the reason it took longer than they than they planned was them uh, appealing the points deduction. Well, from what I remember, they said they were going to appeal it and then three weeks later decided it wasn't worth it. So that was just a bad decision from them or and they didn't even go ahead with appealing it anyway. So there's also one other thing which I, I may not be quite right, but I got this from Kieran Maguire. Um, it said that uh, unsecured creditors included large sums owing to Mel Morris. He did not submit claims for these by the looks of things. Therefore, it's written off about £125 million worth of debt, allowing the, the new owner to pay 25p to the pound to suppliers, which, I mean, it's still horrendous if you think about the tax bills and you think about uh, how much there. But obviously, Morris has taken some hit, which uh, gives me some solace, I think, in there because he did run the club into the ground. Uh, and interestingly, if you look at the administration report and how it breaks down into the uh, purchase of the club, uh, just under £18 million, as Kutch said, uh, 6.4 million of that is goodwill. Um, so I'm just interested as to what the goodwill is. A lot of things costing a pound, such as the stock and the football apparel and apparatus. But yeah, 6.4 million of goodwill. So I don't know whether that's something to... Yeah, I've got no idea what that means. I haven't read it in detail. My only guess, my other alternative on that, Tom, would be maybe there were £6 million that David Clouds decided to settle some creditors more than they actually like legally needed to be settled yeah that, that could be that could be a good way of putting it in, in terms of clouds but again that's as i speculating i'm sure as ever with this kind of thing kieran Maguire at the price of football podcast is the best person to follow uh, and i'm sure his next episode uh, will be out uh, soon and we'll probably feature some of this so do listen to that if you want more information and analysis from people that know what they're talking about on this kind of thing um Tom, do you have a quiz? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's an interesting one and a new one. So recently at work, as for those of you who listen regularly know I'm a teacher. I work with the sixth form and we've been getting students to do their UCAS references. So I'm sure a number of you remember writing personal statements or perhaps have children who are writing personal statements or will be in the future. And it got me thinking about university and then a well-known BBC game show. Uh, therefore, today we are going to be playing Derby County Challenge. So what, how this will work, you'll get to start a question, uh, which will be for 10 points, and it will be a player that's linked to both Derby County and yesterday's opponents, Bristol Rovers. To buzz in, if you know the answer, say your name and your chosen university if you want to cut, uh, and then give your answer. And then you'll get three additional questions, which will be multiple choice, so very quick fire, which will be worth an additional five points each. So each question is worth 25 points, potential 25 points in total. As I say, these are players that are linked to both Derby County and Bristol Rovers. So the question number one, or the player number one, I played in midfield for Derby and Bristol Rovers, the latter of which I also managed. Oh. Played centre midfield, <laughs> centre midfield in the mid nineties for Derby. Uh, got us, helped us get promoted. Cutcher York. Yep. Lee Carsley. <laughs> no, not Lee Carsley. Oh. And Tom Bristol. Paul Trollope. Paul Trollope is the correct answer. Yes. Good Get work. In. Very good. 10 points to Anton. Well done. Three questions, each for five points. How many games did I play for Derby? 52, 62 or 72? <laughs> Blimey. 52. Uh, incorrect. 62. How many goals did I score for Derby? Four, five or six? <sighs> six. 
four, incorrect there. And <laughs> Derby sold Paul Trollope to which club in 1997? Fulham, Torquay, or Coventry City? Torquay. <laughs> Incorrect. Fulham. No. <laughs> yeah. It was Fulham. That's not exactly Anton's era. <laughs> it's it's that. not my era. No. <laughs> Anton was five at that point, so not much to shout. Anyway, 10 uh, 0 to Anton. Second question. Current assistant manager at Cheltenham Town. I came through the academy for Derby and played until 2004. I spent most of my career being, as according to the song, effing brilliant at centre-back for Bristol Rovers. Cutcher York. Yeah. Young Mwene. No, English English centre-back. Oh, sorry. Right. Oh, this is tough. It's not this, but Anton, Darren Moore. No, it's not Darren Moore. The correct answer is Steve Elliott. Ah, oh, Steve Elliott. Mm. Yeah, okay. Question number three. Uh, I'm known as the Duke. Cutcher Anton. York. Nathan Ellington. Correct. <sighs> ten, ten points. Oh, I'm sure Question. I got in there first. No, I said Cutcher York. I think my internet went a little bit dodgy, but I thought it was Cutcher York first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, question number one for, for five extra points. I was on loan at Derby and played how many games? 27, 32 or 37? 27. Correct, five points. How many goals did I score in that loan period? Three, five or seven? Five. Three. And how many goals did I oh. score for Bristol Rovers in the 3-1 FA Cup win at Pride Park in 2002? Four. <laughs> it's three one. That's unbelievable. I thought that was an easy one. <laughs> so he's gone three. Four. <laughs> oh god! I didn't even wait for the multiple choice. <laughs> well, I think I didn't really give a multiple choice. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> the good one. I was about and, to complain at Cutch getting easier questions than me. I tried to do the same questions, but um, anyway, it's fifteen ten. So we've got one final question and I want you to dig into your football manager knowledge from the uh, 2002 to 2005 era. Um, I was a Scottish attacking midfielder, forward left for Derby between 2002 and 2005, loaned to the gas in 2004. My name is something you'd relate to a tree. Anton, I don't know about the tree, but Gary Teal? You've got the right first name. Oh, Kutcher, you're Gary O'Neill. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> correct answer is Gary Twig. Oh, Gary Twig, football knowledge. Yeah. There were not many players. Came through at the same time as Marcus Tugger. Yeah, that's the one. Played attacking midfielder left uh, and he made his debut against Sunderland in 2002. Anyway, uh, good little game there. <laughs> a bit of a mess with that. I thought it would be a bit easier <laughs> than it was. But uh, Kutcher, I think you came through 15 to 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah, textbook, textbook performance from the big dog there. So... Thank you to uh, everyone for listening. Thank you, uh, Tom Martin, for uh, sticking with us while you had a, a baby in, in your in your arms. Yeah, he's now fast asleep. All the best. Perfect timing. Anton, thanks again. Cheers, boys. Take care and see you soon.